Hello again, and thank you for tuning into the Curvacast podcast. This is episode 10. Really excited. The Curvacast is a weekly podcast and an initiative of the Curva Project. Just to remind you, the goal of the podcast is to engage with Christian faculty in higher education. We'll highlight their work, so we'll talk about their research, um, their teaching, maybe even service, in the hope of bridging connections between university, church, and society. My name is Penina Achayo-Laker, and I'm here with my most esteemed co-host, John Inazu. John and I are both faculty at Washington University in St. Louis and fellows with the Carver Project. Today, we are honored to spend some time with Jill Pasteris, a colleague of ours at Washington University and also a fellow with the Carver Project. Jill, we're excited to have you here. Welcome to the CarverCast. Nice to be here. Jill, it's so great to have you with us. Um, I, I seldom read descriptions straight from websites, but <laughs> yours is interesting enough to fascinate me. So I, yeah. I want to start by saying, can you tell us what it means when you say you take a traditional mineralogic geologic approach to non-traditional materials? <laughs> John, that's so good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may be the only person that's read my blur. My students never <laughs> asked me that. <laughs> so, um, uh, in, in a very confined sense, minerals are geological entities uh, naturally produced uh, through processes on, on the earth and, and deep in, in the earth. Um, and so there are the processes that typically a geologist would associate with the formation of a mineral and a, and a list of chemical compounds that we would recognize as, as minerals. Uh, but... Um, it's wonderful to realize that once you've sort of gotten the hang of a subject like mineralogy uh, and you understand uh, something about the nature of, of minerals uh, and how they form and how you analyze them, you can think about looking at other things that people may not have thought about as a mineralogist thinks about them. Um, and so, for instance, um, through one of these wandering pathways that always seems to happen in an academic life, um, I got interested in the mineral in bone. Um, and so the past 15 or so years, I've, I've spent a lot of time studying that, linking up with a chemist who would uh, synthesize something very similar to the mineral in our bone, a, a calcium phosphate mineral. Um, and so then I went off and began studying various kinds of minerals that are important to the environment, uh, both in a negative sense and a positive sense. And so at the time I first got involved in these things, they were not so typical. Um, and so I continue to apply what I've learned from studying minerals to other kinds of, of materials. I'm interested in, in a lot of the, the new uh, material technologies and try to get my students interested in them. And so that's, that's so fascinating. At the time you were doing it, were you applying your background to new areas or were you actually having to learn and familiarize yourself with different disciplines? Both, both, um, which is uh, both daunting and really exciting. Um, and I, one of the great things about people here at Washington University is their open-mindedness and, and willingness to work together. 
Um, and so I, I eventually got linked up with people at the medical school and over in engineering um, who could help me understand better this whole business of bone, for instance. Um, and we would talk together and and I was amazed and, and, and very happy to find out that they appreciated my mineralogic approach just as I appreciated their biological and, and um, mechanical science a- approaches uh, to it. Um, and so it's, it, it's been sort of wonderful for, for me. Uh, I got involved early on um, in a technique that's now pretty standard, but when I first got started in it back in 1983, it was, it was still sort of exotic, uh, called uh, Brahman microprobe spectroscopy. And um, that led me into looking at, at bone. And um, as I tell people, I, I kept getting involved in things I had no business getting involved with. <laughs> and, and friendly people helped me from making too many terrible mistakes. Wow, Jill, I <laughs> there is so much in there. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how to pronounce mineralogical Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but if you wouldn't mind just uh, taking us a few steps back, uh, how did you arrive at, at studying minerals? How, you know, how did that start for you? Well, um, according to my mother, who, who is now gone, but told me this many years ago, even when I was a little child, sometimes she would be walking by the washing machine and she would say to herself, oh, no. I forgot to take the stones out of Jill's pockets before I threw her <laughs> in the washer. And so I think I think it went back really far, okay? Wow. Um, but what really got me hooked was a, a marvelous um, uh, course I, I had. Uh, my ninth grade science was called Earth Science, uh, and it actually was supposed to have four parts to it, but my teacher was really most interested in two of them. And so I ended up spending half of a year on geology in ninth grade. Uh, Mm. And I just got totally fascinated. And so by the time I was thinking about going to college, um, I I knew I needed to pick a place that had a geology program. Um, And so uh, uh, also I wanted to go to a small liberal arts college and frankly, geology is not uh, one of the big players in most people's minds. They, right. they just don't understand the way I do that it's like the most critical science. Uh, but it's but it's, <laughs> it's not physics. It's not chemistry. It's not biology. Um, and so, uh, luckily, I, I ended up going to Bryn Mawr College, a uh, small college uh, outside of uh, Philadelphia, and they had just a marvelous group of four geology professors. Uh, And so I just knew the deeper I got into that subject, the more I loved it. And everything else, as they say, is history. Um, Wow. And and did you, and I'd imagine being surrounded by your professors really helped um, inspire and probably help you start to get a sense of what you might do with your education in geology. But Besides academia, did you at any one point think you would end up working as a geologist outside of the university context? Well, um, it, it wasn't a surprise to my family that I, I was going to major in geology. In fact, I, I was sort of 
um, disappointed. I, I announced it to the broader family and everybody just nodded like, well, what else would you study given <laughs> that all you seem to do is play with rocks and minerals? Um, but the, the, the teaching part, uh, I can remember back in fifth grade thinking I would really like to be a librarian because I love yeah. books. If you see my office and <laughs> the walls, you will understand this. Um, and uh, Or a teacher. And I, I think by the time I was in sixth grade, I had focused on being a teacher. But the wonderful thing about going to college was that I, I had never thought until then about teaching anything other than uh, elementary school or high school. Um, and so as I moved along, um, and still really appreciated the excellent teachers I had, I, I began to think about teaching at the college level. Hmm. Jill, as you're talking, I was, I was thinking back to, uh, an earlier podcast we did with Catherine Crouch, who's a physicist at Swarthmore and, we were talking about her to some extent, her experience being a woman in graduate school in the sciences and then as a, a tenure track professor. And she pointed out how much ground had been tread and work had been done by women in the generation before her. her and, and that's more your cohort. And so I would love to, do you have thoughts about just the experience of, of being a woman and, especially graduate school at a time when that was much rarer than it is today and uh, really any reflections you have about that experience? Well, I really would hand it to the generation immediately before mine. I'd mm -hmm. say by the time I got into all of this, a lot of uh, ground had been broken and a lot of toes tread on and so forth. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I was lucky. I, I also, I think it was very helpful. I, I should mention uh, Bryn Mawr College it, 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 it is at the undergraduate level only for women. Mm. And so I didn't go th through that whole business of thinking about, you know, are the guys doing better, the girls doing better? Um, the, the whole gender issue wasn't an issue. We were all women t t together. <laughs> Um, we were uh, also uh, sharing our facilities, and it was it was a mutual sharing with uh, Haverford uh, College, just a mile away. And at, at that time, that was all men. But we could feel when when we were in the geology program, uh, that was our department, and and they <laughs> they were sort of mm. visitors. So, <laughs> but we all, we all got along re really well. Um, but I, I, I think it, it set me up for not feeling so odd, perhaps. I, I believe the first field trip I, I went on um, at, a, at, an, at an academic meeting in our, you might imagine, in the Geological Society of America meetings, if it's not a COVID year, we also have, have field trips to the local area. And I think I was the only woman on the field trip. Yeah. But I, I didn't really feel odd because I wasn't used to being made to feel odd. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody was very polite. Um, the one thing I do remember, this is a terrible thing to recall, but the guys were shoved into rooms, three to a room. But because I was the only woman, I got a whole room to myself. Yes. <laughs> so, so 
there are benefits. <laughs> but people, for the most part, um, were respectful. Uh, and maybe a good thing I should bring up, particularly in these times of very high levels of sensitivity, there were there were two times I can remember in my interactions with with male uh, colleagues. When I say colleagues, I mean not only just people in my department, but but also extended uh, out to, to other other people at other universities. And I, in these two cases, I I got the impression the person didn't take me seriously, and this bothered me. And and I chalked it up to my being a woman and. Later on, I realized that I was wrong because these men work very well with with women colleagues. And I realized that, yes, they they might not have taken me as seriously as I had hoped, but there are different aspects of the geosciences uh, and different ways of approaching things. And so I, I might say there are people who do a lot of field work, people who do a lot of lab work people who are more theoretical and computational. Um, and in each of the cases where I had felt somewhat slighted, I realized the person wasn't as uh, thinking as highly of the way I approached things as they thought of the way they approached things. And this is, this is totally fine. We get to, we get to judge each other on, you know, real live issues. And so I, 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 I was embarrassed I had assumed that it was a gender issue. And, and so I would suggest that we all think about this and not accidentally attribute the, the wrong notions uh, to, to people. We don't, we don't know how they think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that, that does, you know, that does make a lot of sense. I, in hearing you talk about your, um, undergraduate experiences I, I remembered that I, I went to an all-girls high school in Uganda yes <laughs> I think there was there was a a period there in my life where I it never occurred to me the whole like I think we used to we would compete as a cohort of girls against other like boy schools and we knew that we wanted to be the best sure. and better better but 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 in the experience of learning with other females like I don't think I um I ever felt um any any different or less because I was a girl. I think if anything I felt empowered um to to do to be excellent in what I was doing. But I love what you said about um how important it is like in situations such as the one you just explained that we are not always so quick to respond or to judge that sometimes um our own biases or preconceived notions uh might um cause us to think that people's responses are because of our agenda but it's not always the case and I think it's important to speak up and and clarify and then also be quick to uh to admit when when you're wrong right so when you say you're embarrassed uh, I think I think that's that's fair um so how I think in now like moving towards your teaching a little bit how how have your experiences um either influenced the way you teach today or do you get to engage with um, a lot of female students? Do you have, I don't, I don't know what the makeup of your classroom looks like. Yes, yes. Let me say the earth sciences uh, are, I think, remarkable in the proportion of, of women. 
Um, even back when I first came here, I think the first class I taught as an, uh, as an undergraduate course, I think had more women than men. Um, mm. I've taught courses in this department that were all women. Um, I sat in on one of our introductory courses one time just to understand better what the students were learning so I could teach my mineralogy class better knowing what, what their background was. And it was like 14 women and one, one fellow. That's interesting. Do you, have any, do you have any indication why that's the case? Is it a trend in your department, in your field right now? Or? I, you know, I, I always thought it would be really nice if somebody would look into that. I, I suggested it yeah. to various people because some of the sciences have, um, well, they've, they've, frankly, in my mind at least, have, have suffered disrespectful comments as, as though they were trying to exclude women but but just it wasn't working out well for some of these fields and some of these departments. And I, I, I thought it'd be very useful to have sort of an analysis done uh, of the women in the geosciences, what got mm. them into it. Um, uh, I like the fact uh, that you can hold the things in your hands. I mean, I, I would not have made a good theoretician. Um, I, I like hearing people explain theoretical things, but to spend my life uh, it, just that way without material items that I could look at, that I could explore, or at least had physical models that I could explore, um, that would have that would have turned me off. And so what in part drew me to the field of geosciences, actually geology, uh, is in part you see it all around you. Mm. Wherever you go, you, you can't get away from it. Um, well, if you fly up in the air, okay. Well, no, you look down and then you see it again. So, so you really can't get away from it. And so it's rather fun um, uh -huh. to look around and to feel as though you might have some insights yeah. into these things you see around you. And so I'm, I'm wondering if that's part of the appeal to other women, but I, I, don't, I don't know. And, and I'd love to see somebody look into this more. Mm. Jill, I wonder if um, if you could say a bit about what it's been like to be a Christian professor. One of the real gifts to me of getting to know you and uh, others around our school is we've come together as a group of Christian faculty who have been here for different periods of time. And you've been here longer than Penina and me mm -hmm. and different seasons of the university and its leadership and the culture. And I'd love your, to get your thoughts on what it was like to be a Christian faculty member when you started and, and throughout your time here at Washington University? Well, I, I was sort of sensitive about the, the Christianity issue, um, in, in part because of what I knew had gone on in universities not too long before I, you know, came here as a, as a professor. There seemed to be, you know, a lot of pushback against um, religion, religious statements, um, uh, ideas of behavior based on religion or, or Christianity in particular. Um, and so, um, I think I was, I think I was cowardly. Okay. I didn't make a, uh, a, a to-do about being a, a Christian. I, 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 I tried to make sure to act in a way that I thought was appropriate for a Christian uh, 
uh, to act. Um, and um, it didn't come up a lot un until recent years, actually, because I'm, I am a scientist and, and mineralogy is wonderful, but, but religious ideas don't typically come, come forward while <laughs> studying the, um, the, 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 the minerals. But um, I uh, began with uh, Doug Weens, who you know, of course, mm -hmm. another uh, member of uh, the Carver Project, but also a member of, of my department. We started to co-teach a uh, course uh, about the, the history of ideas and controversies in the geosciences. Huh. And so mm -hmm. some of this came up uh, because you, you uh, had particularly the uh, biblical uh, discussion of the origin of the earth and how what we see and live with came about. Um, and, and this eventually came into some level of conflict with what scientists uh, had discovered. Um, and so um, I was sort of treading a little lightly there, uh, but I think that the, the point, and I've tried to make it, I've, I've given some talks on this, how science and religion are not at odds with each other. And hmm. some of the important things I think is that, um, that, first of all, some of the earliest naturalists, including uh, the ones who I would say are, are part of, of, of my family tree of, of geologists, uh, many of them had their degrees in theology some of them were practicing pastors. Um, I've joked with my own pastor and said, <laughs> clearly in those days, the pastors had a lot more free time because they'd go wandering off uh, into the mountains and write about what, what they saw. And um, part of what they spoke about was the viewing of nature as a form of recognizing the glory of God. Um, and so I think they didn't have a real problem early on with, with the development of a, of a geoscience and um, their devotion to, to God. Um, and I still feel that way. These minerals that I briefly spoke about, my goodness, I'm sitting next to a, a model of, of one here with all these little colored balls and rods and the whole thing is magnificently held together and repeats over and over and over again in an orderly pattern that is sort of hard to conceive of, except with some sort of overarching force that, 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 that uh, allowed what we consider the laws of nature to come into being. And so um, I had more of an appreciation for those, those early pastors and um, many of them who spoke about, for instance, the age of the earth, uh, that's often brought forward about how stupid it was to say it's only 4,400 years old. And yet uh, uh, Archbishop Usher was acting the way a scientist would in trying to figure out the age, the idea of going back to the recorded lineage of, of, of all of those who came before us uh, in, in, in Genesis, the, the listing, um, they were the data he had, and he worked from them. And there were other much better known scientists of the day who had done something very, 
very similar. And so I began to feel uh, as though I didn't have to be so apologetic <laughs> about, uh, uh, you know, speaking for these earlier people who um, uh, believed in God, but didn't know the science that we know today. Yes. Um, and, and that's so uh, consistent with what I've read about theology and science at the time and the different premises that allowed for a more integrated kind of reflection there. I'm, as you were speaking, Jill, I was wondering, do you find it harder to bring faith into science or science into faith when you're speaking to those different audiences? Well, the, the audiences I've spoken to about faith and science and the fact that they are, are not in constant argument with each other, but look upon things from a different point of view, they have been religious groups. And I, I've had the impression, and this is perhaps because I, I just have not dealt with a wide enough range of audiences, that those religious groups were really quite open to my discussion of science, uh, where I was respectful of how they believed and tried to show the integration of the two different ways of, of viewing how the world works and reminding both myself as a scientist and them as people of faith that we really don't have a way to, to prove exactly what happened and neither well, certainly science doesn't really address the question of why are we here? Um, and so there's always room for, for faith. So I've, I've found the religious groups quite open. I think I would find more problems trying to speak to a scientific audience, uh, many of whom... Uh, would call themselves proudly atheists and trying to engage them in thinking about religion. Um, I'll tell you though, I'm just finishing a marvelous book and the book was written by, by one of our emeritus professors in biology, Ursula, I, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, uh, Goudinot. Uh, the Sacred Depths of Nature. And she does a marvelous job from a biologist's viewpoint of showing us the marvels of how it's all pieced together scientifically. And then at the end of each of her very well-explained chapters, you know, I'm, I'm not a biologist. So when I read this and I tell you it's very well-explained, you're talking about somebody who typically says, if it's alive and moves, I don't want to touch it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she has a, a reflection at the end of each chapter. And so she reflects on the sacredness of biology. Um, mm. I don't think she would call herself a uh, classical sort of Christian. So even people who don't call themselves Christians, I think, would would enjoy her book. Um, but she reminds us that keeping some of these things in, in mind, this, this awe, and that's what I find so mm -hmm. exciting about teaching and doing research in science. It just 
increases my awe of how things operate. And for me, I then relate it back to the, to the goodness and marvelousness of, of, of God. Um, but it's a, it's a healthy way of looking at things, no matter whether you believe in God or not. Um, and so I hope we can help people develop some of that awe and maybe by doing so uh, cause them to be more open to the teachings of Christianity. You know, Jill, it's, it's amazing. I, I, could, I could sit here and listen to you talk for a long time because j- just, just in the way you're able to, to present um, knowledge and topics that might seem so inaccessible, that, you're, that, that, that in the way you ask questions, there's a thoughtfulness in the way you are sharing this content that I, that I really appreciate and I can imagine your students um, really find um, heartwarming. And um, I actually, I, I had a question that, that I'm actually not even able to remember right now because I'm in awe oh, <laughs> of how no. you're explaining it. But, but what, one thing that I really liked about, uh, I think was one of the previous questions John had asked about how you're integrating your faith uh, into your work and if that points of tension, it struck me that, that you pretty much took that and, and created a class around it, that in this collaborative class with Doug Wins that, um, that I think is titled Ideas and Controversies in the Geosciences, that you created a class as a platform to interrogate these points of tension and then went on to talk about how, in fact, um, there are many more ways of integrating um, science and faith and there's ways to do that in, in thoughtful ways. I thought that was really great. But I'm curious, I, I wonder if you have, um, in your years of teaching, if you found... Uh, a favorite class and it doesn't have to be this one with Doug by the way which is also sounds amazing but is there a favorite class that you like to teach and why yes it's it's the one that I'm teaching this semester this is my last semester of teaching and I wanted to make sure that I ended on the class I love most it's a mineralogy class Uh, we call it earth materials because we do want people to understand that these notions that were teaching the students to think about in terms of of the structure and chemistry and formation of of minerals and analysis of them are much more widely applicable than just to the classical uh, minerals. Um, However, I must tell you um, that with all the COVID stuff, (laughs) the first thought that came into my mind, and I I apologize, it's very selfish of me, but my first thought was, why didn't I retire at the end of last oh. year? <laughs> oh, I don't blame you. Oh, my. So anyway, I'm learning an awful lot about computers and technology and earphones and web cameras and so forth. And I, I hope I can make use of it in the future. Oh. <laughs> and, and actually, Jill, I'm curious, how are you able to account for the lack of material, like tactile engagement with these minerals, or are you finding ways to teach? So oh, oh, no, no, I'm doing it. I'm doing it in person. I'm doing it in okay. person. I have a very small class. There are five students. Good. I'm also uh, uh, recording it. That's why, <laughs> that's why I've learned so much about webcams. <laughs> um, we are in our third, third lecture day, and I've 
after thinking I had all the kinks worked out, I, I went into the third mode of operation today. And it turned out that I could have skipped about four hours. I had spent developing another mode and just gone with the simplest one. The students said, this is fine. So we are, we are all with you on that, Jill. We've all been there. Yes. <laughs> so I, I get, I get to teach what I love. If it weren't for the COVID virus, I would be going to what typically would be four different mineral shows here in the St. Louis area. And I would spend hours going through and seeing all the stalls set up and the minerals that were available and the university, well, the department gives me a budget to, to buy things that I think would be particularly useful in my teaching. Um, and so I, I, I usually, and certainly last fall, I had a blast going out doing doing those things. But at least I get to end on my favorite course. I love Aww. that. And uh, <laughs> you know, Jill, as you're speaking, I'm just we're, we're we're kind of figuring out this podcast as we go along. But one of the things I've that has really gelled with the people we're interviewing, and and you are no exception here, is just the intrinsic passion that comes through yes. the field of study that oh. God has called you to. And uh, just uh, the sense of wonder and awe that you're able to exude to the rest of us and to get us, you know, even in these few moments thinking, wow, that sounds amazing. Right. And, and, and as, you, as you so helpfully uh, told us, you know, and, and this brings you back to the creator and the, the gifts that he's given you to help explain the creation and what a privilege. Uh, it's just been great to hear you share a little bit about it. And as I think back to past guests, like Francis Sue and others who share that same sense of wonder in their own discipline, it's a great reminder of how, of what we're trying to do as Christian faculty to understand the complexities of the world together, which is both a uh, a limit on our own pride, realizing how much we don't know, but also a, a recognition and a remembrance of what a what a privilege and gift it is to have others around us who do know this so much better. Mm -hmm. So thank you for taking time to be with us today. It's been great to have you uh, on here. Yes, well, thank you, Jill. <laughs> thank, thank you for, for listening to my ramblings. <laughs> no ramblings at all. It was wonderful. It was and great. wish you the best with the continued tech challenges. And <laughs> <laughs>